Hello, humans, and welcome to this extraordinary edition of the Mostly Normal Gamers podcast. My name is AJ Idy. We are recording this episode 40 on March 19th, 2020. I am joined today by none other than co-host Gabe. That's not Waterfall. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. (laughs) That's great. Today, for the first time on our official show, we have a very special guest joining us, co-host of What's Good Games. They call her the busiest lady in the business, Andrea Renee. What's good, guys? Thank you, Andrea, for finding the time to be here today. If you, listener, would like to join in on the conversation, you can by following us at MN Gamers Podcast on Twitter. If you think tweeting is for the birds, until our website is completed, you can send emails to mngamerspodcast at gmail.com. Andrea, we're talking about where people can find us. Why don't you tell everyone where people can find you and what's good? Sure. So the easiest way to keep in contact with everything that I'm doing is on Twitter as well. So I guess I'm for the birds. I'm, I'm <laughs> into the birds in the, in the tweets. So at Andrea Renee, it's pretty easy to find. And then, of course, for what's good, we're at what's good underscore games. Because somebody has been camping on what's good games for a long time, and we're we're hoping to get it eventually. But for now, oh, I got to put that score in there. Get them. Oh, I'm gonna try. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. We're gonna do things just a little bit differently. Instead of yammering on about ourselves and what we've been playing like we normally do, we were just thinking about having a conversation with Andrea and a little bit about your career. Because hey, it's not every day you get the Andrea Renee on your show, Andrea. We were just going to start with some some easy fluff balls here. So speaking of fluff balls, do you have any pets? Yes, I do. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, same name at Andrea Renee, but with an underscore. Got to get those underscores in there. Um, <laughs> you'll see that I have two cats. So I on Instagram, I, I post about three things, champagne, cats, and video games for the most part. And um, they're adorable. They're great. They're going to turn 14 next month. I adopted them from the Burbank Animal Shelter here in the Los Angeles area, and they're great. I love my little cats. That's great. I actually grew up with five cats. Five? That's impressive. Well, they were kind of an indoor-outdoor cat thing. I don't know. We had, like, a hobby farm, so it wasn't, like, a crazy cat person situation, like it sounds when you talk about (laughs) such a high number of them. Sure. Keep telling yourself that. Tinkerbell was the ringleader. Oh, that that sounds like a ringleader kind of name. <laughs> she was very gigantic as well. It was perfect. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Is this like a Little John situation? Yeah, exactly. She would have made a good meme, but this was long before memes. <laughs> Not mm. that I want to date myself. Oh, for her time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. And unfortunately, I don't think ours crossed at all because I spent a little bit of time living in Fargo, which is where you're from, correct? That is correct. That's cool. And I just want to talk about how cool Fargo is for a minute because I had a blast living there for five years. And I don't know if you ever got like downtown to party ever around like, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. Then we might have crossed paths at the same bars. I mean, it's very possible. Whenever I go home for holidays or for family events and things like that, I generally tend to go out at least a couple of nights and the downtown area of Fargo has actually dramatically changed since I moved away. 
but I never really lived there in my adult years when mm-hmm. I would be going out much more. But I did go out when I was in high school and I came back when I was in college and would go out as well. But yeah, downtown is fun. There's like a lot of great places to go out now. For sure. I believe on one of your past episodes, I think you guys did a meet and greet there and you brought up a place called the Hotel Donaldson, the Hodo. Yeah, the Hodo. <laughs> one time when I was in college, my friend's band had a show there and you can imagine it was like a bunch of college kids who can't afford anything more than like a dollar seventy-five old style at Dempsey's all like in the hodo, like supporting this band. And we got some interesting looks from the crowd. It was a good time. I'm sure. Yeah. The hodo is known as one of the more expensive bars in Fargo, particularly downtown. Um, But I really like that. It's usually a lot more chill vibe Mm -hmm. there. I went back there recently over Christmas break and we were looking for a place to go downtown and you know everyone's just like busy and there was a big game um in town or maybe it was a concert I can't remember something was happening and we were just like let's just go to the hodo we know that they'll have seats because <laughs> the drinks are expensive <laughs> oh, but for, for sure. me coming from San Francisco nothing's expensive anymore <laughs> oh I believe been, that absolutely barometer <laughs> has moved <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine we were talking about being at the hodo supporting my friend's band. I was wondering, can you sing? Uh, yes, I can. I don't sing in a particularly good fashion, but I can sing. What do you like you to know, sing? I like uh, doing karaoke with friends from time to time. I spent a lot of years doing musical theater, but it's been Ooh. quite some time since I sang regularly and sang with you know, vocal coaching, because clearly when you are on stage, you practice and practice and practice, and you get training for the specific parts and stuff that you're singing. And I haven't done singing like that in years and years and years, but you know, I think we all like sing in the car, sing in the shower, sing at karaoke. Oh, for sure. You brought up musicals and I have a dog named Mamma Mia. So we're always singing (laughs) Mamma Mia, like ABBA songs to my dog. She came named that. We didn't name her that. And we were going to change it, but like we couldn't really think of anything. And then like two months passed and by that time, her name was Mama Mia. So it's fun to sing, though. Yes, it is. Agreed. <laughs> you said you were interested in musical theater. Would you mind sharing some of the productions that you would have been a part of? Sure. So when I was in school, I was in uh, Into the Woods. I was in Oklahoma. I was in a musical version of Peter Pan. I was in a musical version of The Wizard of Oz trying to think of other i was in the king and i hey i've seen that play i like that yeah yeah there's a i mean there's a lot of great there's a lot of great musicals out there i mean trollwood performing arts is kind of the big performing arts place in you know the fargo moorhead area they do a big musical every summer i never did those musicals because they have a much more rigorous audition process than my local high school musical did. And I was much more of a chorus singer than a solo singer. Okay. I was really into musical theater when I was in high school. Oh, yeah? But, yeah, but, but I never got any of the parts in the actual musical because I was a percussionist and I played guitar. 
And I was always recruited by that director to play in the pit band <laughs> rather than. Oh, that's a bummer. Oh, Godspell was probably my favorite musical that I was in. Um, oh, yeah. That's sad that you couldn't do both. Well, it was it was one of those things where I went to a high school and our graduating class was like 40 people. Um, it was a little boarding Dang. school in rural Wisconsin. They would need <laughs> you to do double duty then. Why wouldn't they let you sing and play? Uh, mostly because I had to be like down in the pit. A lot of the things like um, mm, I see what you're Joseph saying. and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, like they wanted a lot of movement and a lot of dancing going on, and it wasn't really possible for me to play guitar while I was trying to break dance on stage and like all that sort of. But thing. I would love to see you try. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe we should put a video out on that. <laughs> see, your TikTok it's... career is waiting to start. There you go. Boom. You're ready for TikTok. Awesome. I better download those, that app. All those teenagers. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me neither of you has TikTok downloaded? I don't have TikTok oh. downloaded. Should I download it? Do I need it? <laughs> Listen, you don't need it, but scrolling through TikTok is a great way to pass the time, particularly okay. now. Everyone's a little stressed out. Things are a little crazy. A great way to just like find some dumb internet videos to laugh at, TikTok. Fair enough. What was the old one? That Vine? Vine. Yeah, I actually had made a Vine one time of going up a ride at the State Fair, like that thing that shoots you up vertically. It's at every place. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you would. Everyone knows, everyone knows what I'm talking about. They just need <laughs> to see it. All right, so we are a video game podcast, so maybe we should get a little bit onto the video game track. Andrea, you grew up <laughs> playing games. Can you tell our listeners what got you into the games in the first place, what your favorite childhood game was? You don't have to pick one. I always talk about Twisted Metal 2 as being not like the first game that I played, but like the game that like kind of blew my mind and was like, oh, this is what games could be. So I just like, what, what what's your story? Well, I started playing games when I was eight with my dad on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And like a lot of people back then, I was playing Super Mario Brothers pretty much all the time. I got into you know, more styles of games as I got older. Uh, arcade racers were a really big thing of mine. I loved Cruising USA, loved Burnout, loved Need for Speed, all of those early racing games, and um, also really loved platformers. I think I probably spent the most amount of time playing you know, the suite of Mario games. Um, Super Mario World was one of my faves. Mario 64, also one of the best games ever made. So, I mean, pretty pretty standard stuff. Some of the games that I really enjoyed, though, I also played on PC. Um, this one game I played actually on SNES it was kind of like an underground game that whenever I talk about it, people let know, know. Uh, did you guys ever play Populous? I did not. So it was like a god game. Um, they actually made a newer version of it not that long ago. Trying to remember who I'm looking this up right now. So the original game was from Bullfrog Productions and was published by EA and it came out in 1989. Oh my gosh, I had no idea that it was released that long ago. But yeah, uh, they yeah. brought it back that long ago. But so that was a fun game. I I like you know RTSs on PC and played a lot of Chess Master with my dad. I didn't know if you guys are into Chess Master. Did you guys ever play old school Chess Master? I don't I think did, I yes. played old school chess master. Yeah, there's so many great games. I mean, I just think about like legacy titles and sometimes I'm like, oh, I should go back and play some of those games. 
And then I do, and I'm like, oh, man, a lot of these have not aged very well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true. So your dad got you into games, you were saying, with NES back in the 80s and 90s. I have two little girls right now. Um, I have a one-year-old and a two-year-old. They're actually less than a year apart, so they're really close together in age. How do you think that I would be able to get them in the games, given the modern gaming landscape? Uh, that's a great question. It's actually one that we get all the time at, at What's Good Games because a lot of parents that watch our show obviously want their kids to game just like you do. And the thing that we always tell them is, you know, some of the platforms that are the easiest to get young kids into games are, are generally the touchscreen, right? Because most kids mm. will get their hands on an iPad um, in the very distant future. Not the very distant. In the very near future is the word I was looking for there. Um, I would imagine your kids are probably going to start watching iPads on their own if they're not already. <laughs> oh, they, um, they are. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bad like, parent, they, you know. You're not a bad parent. <laughs> a lot of parents are doing it, so it does not make you a bad parent to give yourself a break by, you know, giving them a screen that's right in front of them. I mean, obviously, you know, you as a parent need to decide what kind of limitations you're going to set, but that's a conversation for another time. Oh, so I would say, like, Mobile games are a great way to get kids started off. There's a lot of kid-tailored mobile games that are designed for really, really young children. Obviously, you're going to have to vet all of that on your own. But then uh, once they get a little bit older and they get more, you know, um, hand and finger control, like manual dexterity and things like that, you know, Nintendo Switch is a great platform. My nephew is five and my sister just sent me a photo of him playing his Switch. And I think especially with Switch Lite, that they have, which is, you know, a little bit cheaper and a little bit yeah. lighter, easier for kids to hold. I'm guessing Nintendo's probably going to even put out a more 2DS-like Switch in the future that's tailored towards younger kids or as for families that want to add, like, a second or third Switch to their household. So I think, you know, Switch games are great for that, too. And Nintendo has so many amazing kid-friendly games. Yeah, I actually had uh, my youngest daughter, the one who she just turned one, she loves to grab the Xbox controllers when they're just sitting out. I get an app on the Xbox called Toddler Box that just kind of it shows a bunch of like pictures of colors and animals on the screen. And as she moves the sticks around and presses the buttons, uh, they'll change and things like that. So it kind of gets them used to using controls like that, or it's supposed to at least get them a little bit familiar with the controller. So yeah, that's where they're at right now. My two-year-old, however, is going into those iPad games pretty hard. She's got a Lego train game that she likes to play and then a like match the shapes game that she likes to play so nice another game i just thought of um is zoo tycoon i don't know if you ever ever played that game yes back in the 90s yes (laughs) yeah oh they put out a new version for xbox one when xbox one originally launched and i actually really loved the connect functionality but if you don't have your connect anymore which most of us probably don't the game itself is still really great and it's got so many amazing animals on it and it's just really colorful and there's a Disneyland game too. Some of those games that we as adult gamers would kind of like turn our nose up at and be like, Meh, I don't want that, but they're actually really great for kids. Yeah. I'm always looking for games like that. Just to build out the collection. Just so, you know, my kids, like I love call of duty, but I'm not necessarily ready for my, two-year-old or even <laughs> until she gets maybe six or seven <laughs> i think you can maybe take the word necessarily out of there and just say i'm not ready <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not ready you know, call of duty is not not for kids it's not for kids <laughs> definitely not 
Well, when you were a kid, you loved games, but that has evolved into some of the best coverage out there in video games coverage in What's Good, the litany of other hosting and guest spots and convention coverages you do. Did you always want to get into covering games, or did you start out heading for something else and just kind of, you know, I guess I don't want to call it dumb luck because obviously it took a lot to get there, but some auspicious endeavors or something. (laughs) How'd you get there? Yeah, it's an an interesting story. I've told it a couple of times, but let me give you the very short version. Yes. Because it's kind of a long story. (laughs) Um, I originally went to school for broadcast journalism, and I started out really wanting to do traditional nightly news, right? Like the stuff Uh that you turn on at 5 or 6 o'clock or 10 o'clock whenever you watch your news. And sitting at the desk, you know, that was what I originally was going to do and what my career was going to be. And then when I was in college, I spent a year studying in Los Angeles, studying TV and film production. And I was like, you know, I really want to focus my news on entertainment news specifically. It's like, you know, if I'm going to be doing news for the rest of my life, I at least want to cover stuff that makes people smile and, you know, yeah. makes people happy. And because so much of the time, the news can be really scary and dark and grim, like right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Think about how much you would be talking about COVID right now if you had gone that route. Well, and it's like, then I would have to be doing these forced stories about it because that's Mm. what people are watching and what all all anybody hear about. And I just can't even, I can't even go there. So I moved to Los Angeles and decided to pursue a career in entertainment news. So I did that for a while. And then the great recession hit and it was hard on a lot of us. And Mm. particularly in Hollywood, it was coupled with the writer strike that happened And that really did a double whammy on the entertainment industry in Hollywood. And so I was kind of stuck without any job opportunities, still bartending to pay rent and going like, where am I going to go from here? Like the competition to get into entertainment is really fierce. And that's when I got some coaching from a hosting instructor that I worked with out here who said, you know, the next big thing in TV is specialty hosting. So maybe maybe you're an interior designer or maybe Mm. you're a chef or maybe you do construction, right? Like there's all these different kinds of expert hosts. And so I was like, huh, what could my expertise be? Because I can't just be like, well, I really like movies. Um, obviously everybody really likes movies. (laughs) Um, and so I was like, I, I had to put a lot of thought into what I could do. And almost all of my work experience up until that time was in the food industry, but none of the cable networks were hiring people my age to do food and beverage shows. Like if you turn on, you know, the food network, almost all of the hosts are in their like forties, fifties and sixties. And so I was just like in my late twenties, mid to late twenties going, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I need to find some work. And that's when my friend who I was playing rock band and guitar hero with every day when I wasn't bartending was like, have you thought about hosting video game stuff? And I was like, what do you mean? Where would I even do that? Because this is right when digital video was just becoming a thing. YouTube had only been around for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even know what you, where would I do that? And so I was like, okay, well, you know, that's a good idea. Actually, I love playing games and I guess I could try to talk about games. And so I started looking for video game jobs and that's how I got my very first gig hosting at E3 back in 2008. Awesome. Nice. Well, that's a great path. <laughs> yeah, Thank I mean, it's sh- a, it was a long path from 2008 to today. I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't really hard, but I mean, that's how that's how I got into video games uh, in the beginning. Well, heck yeah. Andrea, we talked about today. We talked about way back in the day. We talked about our drinking days. 
in Fargo-Moorhead. But for me, I never consumed a lot of wine back then. And if I was consuming wine, most of the time someone else was holding the bag like over my head. Did you guys ever do this ever in your lives? No. So you were talking about this and I was like, what yeah. the heck is half the bag? I feel like one other one in my <laughs> life may have mentioned this to me. Because like <laughs> when I was doing crazy drinking as a young person, um, not that I'm not doing crazy drinking now as a slightly sure. older person. Sure. Um, we were like cake stands were the big thing, you know, because generally oh. speaking, you know, beer is just more affordable than wine is. Even if of you're course. buying Franzia, you know what I mean? Or like your gallon jugs on the bottom shelf of wherever you buy your alcohol. It's still yes. like beer, beer per ounce cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And it was always, there was always beer, but there was always somebody who just brought that along to share as well. And it's pretty self-explanatory. You just drink it until you can't drink anymore, and then you slap the bag, and that's the game. <laughs> oh, my God. We used to play a game called Tour de Franzia. And <laughs> okay, go on. Tour de Franzia is a game where you get a team of three to four people, and you each get, what? how big is a box of Franzia? Like three liters, maybe? Something like that. Maybe I a gallon. Yeah. <laughs> But you get, you each get a box of Franzia, or each team gets a box of Franzia, and then you they race. They are five liters. I just looked it up. It's five five liters. liters? Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, I'm surprised we didn't die, but uh, <laughs> we drank – God, we drank so much wine just hanging out in basements and stuff like that. We did it when we went to Poland uh, with a group of people that I went to school there for a summer with, and – we got a lot of strange looks from a lot of the European people that were also in the dorms with us. <laughs> so apparently it's not like imagine. a worldwide thing. And it may be very localized in northern Minnesota. But uh, Well, Franzia yeah. as a thing is very much like an American thing. And just to Absolutely. make a clarification, Franzia does come in 1.5 liter, 3 liter, or 5 liter okay. boxes. <laughs> So I, it's, it's very possible, and I hope that you weren't just drinking the five-liter boxes. Yeah, same. Uh, I I Boy would liver. never be able to remember for a multitude of reasons, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously now as adults we're trying to drink wine that's maybe a step up from Franzia, but I don't know shit. So Andrea, where is there a way for me to find this out? Hopefully in the future. <laughs> oh, look at that amazing tea up. Um, so I. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm still in the process of of doing production. People who are fans of my show at What's Good Games know that I've been cooking on a project called What's Good Wine for quite some time. And now, because of all of the forced quarantine that we're in, I'm like, well, guess all of my travel is canceled. So I have time now to really get cracking on this show concept. So I've been working on it now for um, a couple of months, but... When I say working on it, I think my problem as a producer and somebody who has done a lot of content strategy and creative development across my digital media career is that sometimes I noodle too long on an idea instead of just making it. I'm like researching, 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 testing ideas, figuring out format, figuring out the, like, the look and feel of the show, who are the demographics are going to be, how I'm going to market it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then I never actually just do it. I never actually just make the show. Fair and enough. so now I'm kind of trying to hold my own feet to the fire and be like, yo, just make it already. What are you waiting for? Well, if people like us keep asking about it, it'll just kind of 
become a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll have to manifest somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, you gotta shoot your shot, man. For sure. I know. Well, we look forward to what's good wine in the future. And another thing I had seen just today, there was a bunch of hype surrounding a tweet that I saw you retweet and Rihanna retweeting about a new show involving you and Brittany Brownbrocker. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we just launched What's Good Games Live. It's going to be a weekly live streaming show, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can catch it at twitch.tv slash what's good games if you guys aren't following us please do hit that follow and notifications. And what's going to be great about this show is that we've been wanting to add to the What's Good Games content for quite some time. But because our show is so production heavy and it's, you know, a, a pretty long show from two to three hours every week, you know, we were really struggling with, well, you know, how are we going to add an additional episode of the podcast? Should we add something different? And so what we decided to do and, you know, the format might change over time, but we wanted to try to pick up some of the news that we tend to miss mm -hmm. if it is, you know, breaking the day <laughs> of publish. We record the show to Wednesday nights. Yeah, you guys understand. And then so like anything that breaks on Thursday or Friday, we typically miss. But then by the time we get around to the next week, it's like, well, unless it's like a really giant story, we most of the time don't even bother reporting on it because we're like, well, we kind of missed our opportunity. And mm. now it's like, it's over. And so what we're going to do now is have a live show on Mondays. We're going to do a call-in segment and we're going to take questions from chat. And, you know, hopefully most weeks we're going to be able to also do gameplay streaming as well. So the idea is that the show is going to be 45 to 60 minutes of like news and Q&A. And then that will go up as its own podcast in the What's Good Games podcast RSS feed. So if you're already subscribed to What's Good, you'll automatically get the new show in your feed. And if you're not uh, please do subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, or of course you can catch it at youtube.com slash what's good games. Awesome. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, we are too. We've been talking about doing it for literally ever. And then finally I told Brittany, I was like, I was like, let's just do it. Let's just start. And so we streamed this week on Monday and we, you know, still kind of like trying to hammer out format. And then we decided, you know what, we're just going to, we're just going to push it live next week and let's just make it happen. Heck yeah. I, I just, I really appreciate you guys' content. You guys make some really great stuff, and your weekly episodes are fantastic. But yeah, I'm really excited to get more from you guys, and really excited for even just like these little bits that you throw out there, your little Patreon videos, your little, um, the monthly videos that you guys do. It's really, really great. And I think that you really do your patrons a pretty good service as you're putting out that content. I just want to comment on that. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. You know, it was interesting when we did a consultation with Patreon because we check in with them a couple times a year. Uh, one of the girls that's in the creator care team at Patreon was like, you guys really offer a lot for your base level. And we're like, yeah, well, that's kind of how we roll. Like our big thing is if people are going to take the time to support us at any dollar level at patreon.com slash what's good games, we want to make sure that they feel like they're getting their money's worth. But we also don't want to block content behind a wall, right? So we have to kind of strike a balance between what kinds of exclusive content can we offer to incentivize people to help support us financially, but also making sure that we're not gatekeeping our content to people who can afford it because we know that everybody's financial situation is different. And I've been at a point in my life where I couldn't afford an extra $2 a month. And I know mm -hmm. that there's people out there that are in that situation right now. We don't want them to feel like they can't be part of our community or that they feel like they're being, 
you know, excluded from some of the stuff that we're doing. And so we try to, you know, do our best to make our content as accessible as possible while also giving people who do have the opportunity to support us something that they feel is, you know, worth their investment. It's definitely working. And I know you guys have played around with it kind of every year. I think you've changed it up just a little bit, but I think you're striking a really good balance. Thanks. Yeah, we've got some really cool stuff in the in the works for our anniversary this year, which is happening in May. Which anniversary? It's three years. We'll Ooh. have uh, been running What's Good Games. So we launched in May of 2017, and now we're almost uh, to 2020 of May. So May of 2020. Congratulations. That's Thank so cool. you. Well, I'll, I'll definitely be around to check that out. And just, I wanted to get a question in here about we mentioned earlier today we're recording on 319, which was the day before Doom and Animal Crossing came out. But now, this is kind of weird because this isn't going to publish till a week later from now, but Doom got moved to coming out today. So you'll already know that when you hear this. But tomorrow is Animal Crossing, which I'm super excited about. Andrea, I know you have a Switch. Are you going to play Doom or Animal Crossing? Well, I was streaming Doom yesterday, Ooh. so Bethesda very kindly hooked me up with a, a PS4 code for Doom Eternal, and I had a ton of fun. Every time I've gotten to play Doom at preview events, I've absolutely loved it. The team at id Software really knocked it out of the park, and I think that anybody who's interested in the game should check it out because they have way more comprehensive difficulty settings this time that feel more approachable. And I actually talk about Doom at length um, not only in a preview video on our channel, but also in the podcast that aired last week. So if you want to hear my full thoughts about it, that'd be a great place to go. So Doom is a thumbs up for me for sure. Animal Crossing is like not my thing. Full stop. <laughs> I have no intention of playing Animal Crossing. I love that people are excited about it. And if people are happy, that makes me happy. I know Steimer just got her brand new Animal Crossing custom Switch. Nice. So she's very pumped for that. And Brittany's going to be playing Animal Crossing too. But like, it's just not, it's just not a game for Andrea. <laughs> and that's okay. Because I have lots of Destiny 2, The Division 2, Doom, and Call of Duty Warzone to play. So I have my hands full. Oh, Warzone's so good. It is. Isn't it good? I yeah, love it. I, I, I actually watched I, you like, stream a little like bit. Oh, I'm glad that you caught the stream. Yeah, I want to play some more. Gary Witta, my friend from from Kind of Funny Days, um, ha- keeps pinging me to be like, when are we playing? When are we playing? I'm like, I don't know. You're the one with the kid, Gary. <laughs> that's awesome i've actually won three rounds of it now and one of them i had to be carried but the other two i actually survived to the end (laughs) oh congrats that's awesome yeah it's been a lot of fun and speaking of other games and stuff is there something that you're excited that's coming out this year that you just want to play like forget covering it forget you know behind the scenes stuff like what do you just want to forget about the world and play I think everybody's got the same game on their mind, Cyberpunk 2077. I've, yep. I've been looking yeah. forward to that game for a long time. And it's wild if you think back to like just how long ago that game was originally announced. Because it's been several years that that game has been in production. And so I'm super pumped that it's finally going to be here. Um, obviously, you know, The Last of Us Part Two is another big game that's coming out this year. I wouldn't call myself excited to play that game because I know it's going to be stressful, but I'm very much looking forward to seeing, you know, Naughty Dog's all-star storytelling on display. But, you know, after hearing some recent stories about the crunch that that team is under right now, it makes me a little hesitant. 
a little like, oh, that's a bummer. But I mean, I know a lot of people that work at Naughty Dog and I have a lot of respect for their team. So I think that game's going to be great. But like the game that I'm like excited for is definitely Cyberpunk. Same. <laughs> so I have a question for you, just touching on The Last of Us that you had mentioned, where you said you're not ex- exactly excited to play that game, but you're going to. Uh, there was a conversation that kind of happened in the video game industry when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. And I remember seeing, I think it was Podcast Beyond, had the title of one of their episodes, asking if video games needed to be fun. And I know this is a loaded question, and feel free to answer it kind of however you want. But I have experiences sometimes when I'm playing games like The Last of Us or Gone Home, like Firewall. Yeah, Hellblade's Any Sacrifice, where the content in the game or the story of the game is just so heavy and can be so soul-crushingly sad and just heartbreaking. Kind of, what is your opinion on those types of experiences versus something like Doom, which is just pure adrenaline fun, blowing things up? I think it really speaks to the idea that video games are an interactive art form and Mm. how innovative the medium itself is. If you compare it to, let's say, feature film, there are a ton of movies out there that aren't fun, but that are really enjoyable to watch because they are really great at telling stories in a very specific type of visual medium, right? Like, I think about a movie like Inception, right? Like that movie was phenomenal, but I wouldn't look back and go, wow, that was a super fun movie. <laughs> you know, like it was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. really intense and it was a thriller and it had some really interesting narrative moments, but I wouldn't go, wow, it was so much fun. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think that, you know, video games are in that place now. And especially with how far animation specifically has gotten and how advanced some of the animation techniques are. So it looks, you know, the the photorealism in games has really come a long way. I think, you know, a great kind of poster child for phenomenal photorealistic animation was what Infinity War did with Call of Duty Modern Warfare last year. That game blew me away with how great it looked. And all the tech that they put into it and how much money Activision clearly has invested in those brands, it shows with just how best in class that animation was. And... But that game also, like if you played that campaign, like there was a lot of moments in that campaign that were really intense and really oh dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, but I wouldn't, again, use the word fun <laughs> to describe it, but it was still enjoyable. So I think that it's possible to have mediums, whether it's books, you know, movies, TV, music, whatever you're into that are intense and serious, but also enjoyable at the same time for what they are. Perfect. Right? Oh. Perfect. Well, Andrea, before we move on to the news, I just wanted to have one more little question. Since we have you with your plethora of experience on here, and we're such a young podcast, you are actually guesting on episode 40, which wasn't planned out. It just kind of worked out that way, but it's kind of cool. Nice round number. We wanted to ask you what advice you could give us as a small podcast to avoid any mistakes or just how to grow and create a community that is nice and respectful and not full of douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hopefully your community doesn't have douchebags by not nature. Yet. <laughs> but, I mean, sometimes you do have to, you know, put the band hammer down. So, I mean, the thing that, you know, we really do at What's Good Games to make sure that our community 
stay is a friendly place for people to be is just, you know, set expectations. You know, I, a lot of that involves having conversations with people and some creators don't want to take the time to do that. But we really like the idea that we have a meaningful dialogue with the people who are part of our community. And so sometimes that means like, hey, like we have to engage with someone and say, yo, what you're doing right there, that's not cool, bro. So stop it or like maybe go somewhere else. And then if they persist, then we just ban and boot and block. And like that's unfortunate, but sometimes it needs to happen. But we also are firm believers in giving people an opportunity to correct their inappropriate behavior and say, hey, like everyone comes from different backgrounds. Maybe something that you said at home with your brothers you thought was cool, but it's not cool out in the world. Mm -hmm. And no one's ever told you that. And we're here to tell you that's not cool. Don't do that. And then if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize we're like, all good. You apologize. Just go about your business and make sure you're uplifting people and not you know, tearing people down and we shouldn't have any problems. And you would think that that'd be a really easy concept to understand, but for some reason, there's something about, you know, being anonymous online that mm -hmm. makes people kind of embrace these darker sides of their personalities in a way that's inexplicable to me. And I don't I don't understand this motivation for people to turn nasty in comments when they get upset about things on the Internet, when they would never say those things to somebody, even in an argument, even in potentially a heated argument face to face, you know, for it's, sure. It's it's weird, but yeah, you just have to set expectations, be clear, and and then don't be afraid to delete people and to ban people. I mean, it's your community; you get to decide who's in it. Sounds good. Now, I want to comment just a little bit on how you had grown. What's good? Because you guys are the first like long form video game podcast that I listened to and kind of got me into the rest of, I mean, this world of kind of funny IGN, Giant Bomb, that sort of thing. I actually heard about you guys on Up at Noon. I think it was like one of the first episodes of Up at Noon I had watched with Max and Brian. Oh, yes. That's back when I was living in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I mean, well, three years ago, probably pretty close to the day here, <laughs> when you had announced that you were starting What's Good Games on IGN at Up at Noon. And I'm sure you'd done it a few other places as well before that. But yeah, it was just really interesting. And then to watch you go on all of the different shows, kind of do the rounds at IGN and do the rounds around San Francisco and all those um, podcasts that were happening there to grow and just really gain traction even before you had launched. We are a year or just about a year into our podcast right now. Can you give us maybe any tips on how to grow our content or grow our audience in similar ways that you guys have? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that is really important for content creators is consistency. So I don't know how consistent you guys are week to week. And I think that, you know, if you make a commitment to consistency, that's the number one thing to grow your audience first and foremost. And then also cross collaboration, right? You know, find other creators and other people who are in the space that you're in and say, Hey, you know, like, can we do something together? I think that there's a, you know, a delicate balance between reaching out and wanting to work together versus reaching out and pitching yourself as a guest. We get pitched people as guests all the time. And it's really hard because, you know, we have a very specific format and our production isn't always consistent, even though our show does publish every week. But I think, you know, if you can find other people to collaborate with, you know, that's more people that will hear about your show and more people that will hopefully follow you and become part of your community. Awesome. Well, thank you for collaborating with us, of course. Like it's 
Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for coming on and answering all those questions. Gabe, would you want to move on to the news? Yeah, we can go into some news right now. Let's do it. So into the news. Borderlands, the Handsome Collection, and four other titles are leaving Xbox Game Pass soon. I think this is the first time that a lot of bigger names, uh, or bigger games rather, have left Xbox Game Pass. This is by James O'Connor at GameStop. You've hit the credit for that. Go ahead and click on that article as you go. I'm sorry, GameSpot. Yes. (laughs) Listen, we all do it. Everybody's guilty. It's just the way it is. GameSpot. The article reads, Microsoft is removing six games from Xbox Game Pass this month across Xbox One and PC, including Borderlands, a handsome collection, which consists of Borderlands 2 and Borderlands, a pre-sequel. On the bright side, several new Game Pass titles are now available with more to come later this month as in the case with all games leaving the popular subscription service xbox game pass subscribers can purchase each game leaving at a 20 percent discount if they want to continue playing an exact removal date has not been announced so what do you guys think about this this is a big game that's leaving game pass it's been on game pass since game pass started and that 20 percent discount how many People, do you think are going to take advantage of that? How many Game Pass users are going to take advantage of that? And what do you think the reflection on the subscription service or the public perception of the subscription service is going to change? How do you think that's going to change with this game leaving? Well, there is the whole issue that people are always worried about with these subscription services is what happens when the game disappears and you're halfway through it. So I can see how some people might be more hesitant to sign up when i don't know i guess they were just planning on only playing vampire um i i don't think overall it's really going to affect anything because there's so many other games and game pass has so much to offer that just these games leaving aren't going to make people not sign up plus they had plenty of time to play them yeah i mean i don't think that this is particularly impactful i think that these games have been out for quite some time a lot of these games were free on PlayStation Plus not that long ago. I think yeah, Game Pass yeah. has been very clear that they are going to have games rotating in and out of Game Pass. There's a lot of other opportunities. You could probably get most of most of the Borderlands games like on discount. So I think it's I think it's fine. I think people have plenty of new stuff to play. Ditto. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I I don't know. What don't you know? I'm a little bit nervous about some of the newcomers to Game Pass maybe not understanding that things are leaving. I think about Netflix, for example. Netflix is one of those things that really ebbs and flows with their television shows. Uh, I know Friends is going to be leaving Netflix soon. The Office is going to be leaving Netflix soon if they haven't already. Um, And moving over to NBC's streaming service. And people were kind of upset about that. I don't know. Maybe gamers just aren't aren't as volatile as a TV-watching community. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Well, I think the idea, though, is that there's always going to be another place to get this game, and that's not the case with streaming television, right? If you think about the way that restrictions on television are, it's like, you know, streaming is something that is very much governed by specific licensing agreements, or you have to buy the full price 
DVDs or if you're lucky catch them on sale but like the the used DVD market is not exactly robust to these days everybody's streaming right and so it's like this idea that you think about friends and the catalog of friends and you're like well I want to watch friends but if it leaves Netflix and then it's nowhere else unless you want to buy each individual episode it's like wait wait a minute what and that's the frustrating part about streaming media like just as a really short aside it's like this idea about digital ownership you know, it's really different than where we're at with games, but we're going to have to quickly address in the games community soon is like, if I'm going to pay, let's say $2.99 to rent a movie, like an older movie, I only get 24 hours with it. That's it. You know, versus if I buy a used or a sale DVD for like 10 bucks or five bucks, then I have that movie forever. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with games and we're going to get there eventually. But at least right now, it's still relatively affordable across multiple platforms. And the, Games are typically available once they've been published on a platform, you know, to be clear, not games that weren't already published. Like if it was just a PC only game, don't at me being like, well, I couldn't play it on my Switch. Um, (laughs) But like if it was at launch available, let's say on all of the consoles on like PS4, Xbox One and and Switch and then Game Pass was like, we're going to add it to Game Pass. And they're like, "Okay, just kidding. It's leaving Game Pass. Well, you still have two other platforms where you could technically play it on and spoilers you can still play it on xbox you just got to pay for it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and again i think that 20 percent discount's a a really great thing and again borderlands the handsome collection that's a that's an older game so i'm pretty sure on the xbox store it's not you're not gonna be paying 60 dollars for it no all right well it's a little bit of a light news week well not necessarily it's just we're recording a week before this is publishing so we don't know what's going to be in the news but this one is timeless and it is written by Ethan Gosh on Kotaku. Microsoft is experimenting with AI and making unbeatable raid bosses that can learn. Andrea, I know you've done your fair share of raids in Destiny and whatnot. What do you think about those bosses being able to learn from their mistakes and things that people throw at them? I think it's a really cool tool. Developing video game AI, artificial intelligence, is one of the more fascinating parts of the development process. And you can always tell when video games have really well-developed AI versus games that don't, right? So I think it's a really interesting concept, giving AI to in-game you know, NPCs or bosses, because I think it would definitely add a level of replayability for a lot of players, and also would hopefully add some innovation into something that is a really difficult part of the game making pipeline. I mean, do I, am I excited about having super hard bosses? No, but <laughs> I mean, it's um, I think it's a fascinating thing that a lot of people would probably be pretty, pretty excited about. Heck yeah. Well, these quotes are from Microsoft software engineer, James Trott via the article written by Ethan on Kotaku. And he says, quote, we're seeing a lot of interesting things happen with genetic algorithms where the content evolves based on a few base principles into something new that the developer may have never envisioned. And then he goes on to say, now, the challenge for developers is how to tone back that machine learning and simulation given the amount of compute in the cloud so that the NPCs and monsters aren't perfect. (laughs) which I think is great. And then he goes on to say, because with enough training and enough compute, they will beat the player every time. End quote. So it's kind of cool to think about that eventually, if they didn't tone it down, it would be unbeatable, literally. (laughs) 
Right, well, because you're still going up against human reflexes at the end of the day. Even if you're yeah. with a high PC player who's got way more precision than, let's say, a console player. I mean, if the if the computer AI can anticipate or interpret what you're doing faster than you can make multiple clicks on your controller, then you, of course you have a problem there, right? I think about when the Division 2's raids first went live, and if mm. you watch gameplay of PC players against gameplay of console players, it just was unfair, you know, how much more precision and control PC players had because of the way the gameplay mechanics were designed on console. And mm -hmm. so, like, the raid bosses were literally unbeatable for people on console. Yeah, and that's yeah. just something that I thought was, I had never seen before. And, like, you didn't really understand... I know there was like a lot of like grumbling, like, oh, get good PC master race. But it's like, no, if you right. watch the gameplay side by side, just the way that the 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 animations differ version to version because of how the the code is being processed within the engine, like it literally was unbeatable. And so <laughs> like we don't want to get into that situation. We want sure. AI to be smart and unique and fun. We don't want them to be so smart that like, they literally anticipate your move before you do it. Yeah. And then it's not fun. Cause then you're going to be in a situation like me where you try the raid a couple times and it's just so brutal that you put the division down and you haven't picked it back up. <laughs> right. Exactly. And like when people put games down permanently, they stop spending money in your ecosystem and no developer mm. wants that. I might go back to that division though. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I haven't played before the new thing that even just came out. So good. Go back. The Division 2 is amazing. I love what Massive has done with all of the updates. They've completely overhauled the way that your gear works with gear score and, and the way that you can slot mods in. Like It's so, so, so much better now. It's funny we're talking about The Division 2 because the person who wrote in for our listener writing question is Gruchi Pucci, who is one of my good friends, and we played a crap ton of Division together. But he writes in and asks... Why is the gaming industry so secretive? And I feel like this is a great question for Andrea because I've never really had secrets. These companies are maybe worried about their art getting stolen, but don't you need like the resources behind you to steal it? And wouldn't a company who has this idea be like a year ahead of you in the development cycle? So some of the secrecy sometimes seems a little bit paranoid to me, and that's just an opinion. Uh, I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. That's interesting. I mean, I mean, the gaming industry is so secretive because you don't want people stealing your ideas, right? Like when it comes to filmmaking, a lot of the filmmaking process is standardized filmmaker to filmmaker. And like the things that differ, what makes some films better than others is all about creative choices for the people who are the creators on that team, whether they're the directors, writers, producers, editors, actors, etc. But in game making, the creative element is just one piece. So much of what goes into the success or failure of a game is actually the technology in the game and the coders and the programmers and animators and some of the tech that they're working on, the systems that they're building. And so you don't really want to give away some of those proprietary secrets about how you're building your game because then other people might be able to use that in their games. Now, that said, some developers are all about that and want to share and want more people to have hands-on access to that tech. But some aren't. Some are really top secret about their process and don't want to want to share that with anybody. I think about a studio like 
Rockstar Games and how secretive they are in their development process and how they don't let anybody in, including press. Like very few members of the press have ever visited Rockstar Games, right? Mm. But then you think mm. about, you know, other teams that are a little bit more open and a little bit more transparent. I think about Bungie in a post-Activision world and how transparent they've become in the development process and all the cool things that they're doing and how they want to be like, you know, more involved and communicative with their community. So, I mean, it just really depends on the creator, but I mean, secrets are secrets because people see a way to profit off of them at the end of the day. I well, agree. <laughs> yeah, Gabe, I don't know. <laughs> Can you add to that? I'll yeah. go ahead. <laughs> Andrew's got a heart out. We Wait, no, Gabe, Gabe, add to it. Let's hear what do you have to say. Yeah, what do you have to say, um, Gabe? <laughs> no, it, it, I just think that it's a lot of, you got to keep those mechanics of the game hidden for the most part, because a lot of times if something works, people will jump on it right away. Um, we've seen that with a lot of the Battle Royales recently. I mean, just mm-hmm. Warzone coming out and how much it's taken from all of these other battle royales and then also what epic is doing with fortnite and how it's echoing kind of what apex did and what i'm sure soon enough there's going to be a jail in fortnite where gulag. yeah very similar to the gulag so i think that it's i think that it's important for people to protect their ip and to protect their ideas at least until launch and i think we can really see that a lot in both the shooter space and the battle royale space I mean, just look at Halo and how much Halo changed what shooters look like. I mean, now every shooter has kind of iterated on what Halo has done. And then consequently, what Call of Duty has done now is being the lead shooter. So I I do think it's important to be secretive for a long time, at least with the mechanics that you're going to be putting into the game. Right on. Yeah. All right, everybody, that does it for our show today. This has been episode 40 of the Mostly Normal Gamers podcast. You can follow the show at MN Gamers Podcast on Twitter. You can find us streaming on your favorite streaming services. If we're not somewhere you want us to be until our website is up and running, you can email us at mngamerspodcast at gmail.com. Gabe, where can people find you on those internets? You can find me at Gabe Fall pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook if you want. Also Xbox Live, PSN, everywhere. Twitch, Mixer. Yeah, Gabe Fall. And a dumpster. And a dumpster. <laughs> you can find me in a dumpster too, whatever. Perfect. My name there. is AJ ID. You can find me at AJ underscore ID. That's E-I-D-E on Twitter. Please give me a follow. It would be the greatest help of all, dear listener, if you could leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on now. We would greatly appreciate that. Andrea, we greatly appreciate you. Thank you so much for being our guest today. You are welcome to come back whenever you please. Until then, can you remind the people where to find you and what's good games and what's good wine and what's good live and, I don't know, AndreaRenee.com? Yeah, sure. So like the easiest way to keep track of all the things I'm doing these days, like my friend Greg Miller likes to say, uh, I'm not just called the busiest lady in the business for nothing. Uh, (laughs) It's on Twitter. That's generally where I link everything that I'm doing, whether I'm live streaming, whether I'm putting out new content on YouTube, if I'm guesting somewhere. So that's just at Andrea Renee. So A-N-D-R-E-A-R-E-N-E on Twitter is the best place. But of course, you know, please come and check out What's Good Games. If you haven't heard the show and you're interested, you know, What's Good Games Live might be 
be a better way for you to get in if you don't want to commit the two to three hours of the big uh, beefy weekly show that we do every week. But you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, you know, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you know, youtube.com slash what's good games. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the chat sometime. Awesome. Yay. Everybody go there and check all that out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Goodbye, everybody, and happy gaming. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.